Welcome to Midday, and welcome to Good Friday. Hope you have great plans for your Easter holiday. It looks like uh, Old Man Winter's Grip is still going to be a part of uh, our spring planning as we move forward into and through this weekend. This is the Roundtable, and this is the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Dirk Christensen, Clay Patton, Bob Brogan right here, and Jason Jorgensen with Sports. Everyone with big plans, raise your hand. You get any? You do? Okay. Well, let's start with Jason here on the right. I'm headed to Axtell. Family what, Easter brunch. What could be better? Yeah. In the snow. <laughs> in the snow. That's right. Clay, what uh, was it? I actually have a high school, school friend getting married in my hometown, so uh, ah. it's going to be an interesting weekend for sure. All right. Bob Brogan, you've got some thawing to do. Getting outside. Trying to find an Easter egg at some place, uh, you know. <laughs> in people, the snow? Well, uh, you know, just find the nearest one I can find. Here comes Peter Bobbintail, as we say. What are you up to? Well, I probably will just be waiting to see how much snow I have to scoop on uh, on the Easter morning. It looks like uh, anywhere from... Now, they. it's interesting how the Weather Service does this these days, guys, because they put out, you know, we put, put the Paul Perkins, the ever-vigilant Paul Perkins, our news and, and weather guy, is, uh, is always keeping us up to date on what's expected to happen weather-wise, and he has, of course, gone to the Weather Service and brought over to our Facebook page the expected snowfall amounts. Okay, there are about eighty-three maps to look through. Okay, yes. <laughs> to get that. So what we do is what we have posted is kind of the mid-range of what's expected to happen. There's a fifty percent chance it could go one way, fifty percent chance it could go the other. There is a ten percent chance that everyone who's expecting one to two or two to three inches could get four to five inches. We're not going to tell you that here because that's an outside chance. That's a long shot bet. That's like you know, your bracket stayed together this long, and and you still had. That would be like the Nebraska men's basketball team making the NCAA. There tournament. you go. That's the kind of chance that we're talking about. <laughs> Zing! At this point, sorry, I'm still bitter. <laughs> you can't tell. Carries. Yeah, it, it's hard to even watch the NIT, isn't it? Yep. Yep. Uh, here we go with uh, two to three inches expected for the Lexington Kearney area, two to three in the Loop City area. It is probably going to end up being about one to two in Ord, Grand Island, Fullerton, Hastings, over to Red Cloud, Hebron, and York. If you're further south across the border or right near the border, you're probably in for less than an inch. But if you're into west-central Nebraska listening to us today, if you're in Ellsworth and Hyannis, Arthur, Tryon, uh, you are in a four- to six-inch zone expected right now, and three to four inches anywhere from North Platte to Stapleton, Bedford, and round up on there to Mullen. So that's what you can expect by Saturday night into Sunday morning. And uh, not a real pleasant early sunrise service for no. Easter. You may have to clear the bench off. I think it might. You know, you know, before <laughs> you're exactly able to right. sit down. That's right. And, you know, whether or not the eggs have been boiled, they will be solid. 
There you <laughs> go. I can tell you. Uh, let's go to Clay Pat and find out what the uh, ag team's been up to. Well, ag markets are closed today, so we are in overabundance of ag news. But it's exciting because when Monday next week, when we come back, traders are going to be chomping at the bit. Yesterday, of course, big USDA stocks and perspective plannings report, as well as the quarterly hogs report coming out. And all that information being digested, of course, uh, quarterly hogs coming out after the market closed. So the market has not figured out in that new information yet. So it's going to be exciting to see this trade open back up on Monday. Now, for midday, as we're discussing, we have Shaley on at 1219 with the Friday feature, Al Dutcher, and he's going to be talking about that S-word. He's going to talk about snow and what else is coming up here for our Easter forecast. Coming up at 1245, Chabella joins us, and she's got an interesting one. This has kind of been a continuing conversation with her with North Platte Natural Resource District Director John Berg, and he's talking about the World Water Conference that was held in Brazil last week. So she's talked to him on a few topics. We're going to continue on that one kind of a global supply water outlook very interesting and then at 117 bruce gorder joins us iowa nutrient reduction strategy moving into its eighth year he catches up with sean mcmahon director of iowa water resources about what's happening how they're retaining the water and how they're improving nutrients back in iowa soil all right well you guys haven't slacked off at all here for the holiday have you no no just put on the steam (laughs) very good jason jorgensen We'll preview the Final Four. The women's Final Four gets rolling tonight. The men's is set for tomorrow in San Antonio. First game, you have Michigan against everyone's darling, Loyola of Chicago. Who would have figured that? That was a long, long shot there. And sisters, uh, Jean, uh, you know, they they made the most of this. If folks didn't know where Loyola of Chicago was before, they do. do. Also, (laughs) KU has a tough matchup on their hands. A couple of uh, heavyweights battle in the second game as it'll be KU against Villanova. We'll hear from the coaches about those matchups. Once again, the women's Final Four, that gets rolling tonight. You have Mississippi State against Louisville. Then the second game has Notre Dame with a matchup against UConn. Also, we'll talk some Husker baseball. Uh, they've struggled of late, that's for sure. 13-12 and 12 on the year. They are in Columbus, Ohio. They have to travel to Ohio State again to take on the Buckeyes. They played them there a year ago and won two out of three. So we'll see if the Huskers can turn things around a little bit. It's been a bumpy road. Yeah, it has. All right, Bob Brogan, besides Easter egg hunts, what do we have here? I like the Easter eggs that have money in them. That's that's a good one. <laughs> then you don't have to worry about the snow and the ice and all that kind of stuff. Because where do you acquire those at? Where do you acquire those? Yeah, the Easter eggs with money in them. Any store that sells those plastic eggs that oh, come apart. Yes. You well, got to put your own money in there. Not the Golden yeah. Goose. <laughs> no, not the Golden Goose. So anybody that wants to have an Easter egg hunt with money inside... That's just fine with me. I'll I'll join in the fun. <laughs> and Sunday morning, that'll be cold, hard cash. Yeah, that's good one. Three you points know, for you. You need to send your invitation. That's bbroken at krvm.com. That's right. I always accept uh, money. Well, no. I better not say that. Uh, now, markets pres- are closed, right? Yes, the markets are closed for today, pretty much around the world. Uh, Trump and the EPA expected to roll back auto gas mileage standards so that's something that's uh, on the horizon here also walmart is reportedly eyeing a deal with insurer humana and uh, looking to dive deeper into the rapidly evolving health care market spacex has launched 10 iridium satellites from california don't try that at home um also and here's something real kind of shady and dark 
Could enemies sabotage undersea cables linking the world? I didn't know about those undersea cables, and I didn't approve those, but apparently they're out there, and the Russians are skulking. Oh boy. I like that word, skulking. Skulking around those underwater communication cables. So we'll have those and other details coming up. All right. Thanks very much, Bob. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. This And for Paul Perkins with a look at ag weather for Holdridge Irrigation, your Reiki dealer, I'm Dirk Christensen. A partly cloudy sky today, not too bad with high temperatures for this early spring day, up to the upper 50s in eastern Nebraska, the low 60s for the central and west. And tonight's lows are going to be pretty seasonal, anywhere from 23 to 30, maybe a little cooler than what normal might be, 25 to 35 in the central, but add a little chance of rain and a partly cloudy sky on Saturday, and those cold temperatures into early Easter Sunday morning mean the possibility of some snowfall in a select portion of the state of Nebraska, and right now, as we look at the forecast maps, that area of expected snowfall is expected for west-central Nebraska. This would be in an area that's almost kind of a football-shaped zone that would straddle that line that comes straight up the Nebraska-Colorado border and making uh, the Colorado corner. Get up into the middle of the sand hills there, and you'll be of the middle of the uh, panhandle right there. As the panhandle begins going west, you'll find to the west of that line, Ellsworth, you're in for about four to six inches. The uh, Hyannis area, also four to six. Arthur to the east, Tryon, you're probably in a zone that right now, all things being equal, would get four to six inches of possible snowfall should that develop. Around the edges of that football in concentric rings are an area that includes Rushville at two to three inches expected, Mullen, Thedford, Stapleton, North Platte, all with three to four inch zone areas around them, Oshkosh, Ogallala, Brewster, two to three inches, Lexington, Kearney, Loop City, two to three inches, and then the outside ring from that will get you down to one to two inches in an area that extends from Ord through Fullerton, Grand Island, Hastings, and Red Cloud. If you're further south, probably just a dusting, and we'll be looking at uh, probably further north areas, north of uh, the Merriman and uh, Ainsworth-Bartlett areas, Valentine, probably under an inch of expected precipitation as we would look at this uh, Easter early Sunday morning snowfall. It will be fairly cool as well. Temperatures by later in the day, however, should clear up just a bit to partly cloudy skies with high temperatures on Easter, headed for about 50 to 55 degrees. In parts of northwest and north-central Kansas, highs in the mid-50s. As a daytime high today, upper 30s for tonight, upper 40s for Saturday. And the Sunday chance of rain, snow, or freezing rain should dissipate by noon as high temperatures go for about 42. Central Nebraska, a partly cloudy high into the low 60s for today. Very, very pleasant afternoon. Low temperatures tonight down to 32. Saturday, we feel the cold coming in with partly cloudy skies and 38. But then an 80% chance of snow accompanies that new blast of colder air down into the low 20s on Saturday night, possibly mixing with some rain and a 50-50 probability of snow for the morning Sunday. High temperatures at about 40. But if it does happen, that's what you can expect. And we thank Paul Perkins for getting that all up and ready to go on the Facebook page. You can look for that on Facebook at KRVN. 
property tax has been a hot topic in the unicameral in Nebraska so far in 2018, and there's been a lot of bills proposed. But so far, Governor Ricketts' LB 947 seems to be the front runner, and it goes to vote next week. We find out what's the most important things about this bill for agriculture right on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to bring us those points for agriculture is Steve Nelson, president of Nebraska Farm Bureau. And Steve, let's just start with why is Nebraska Farm Bureau supporting LB 947? Well, the number one reason uh, for our support for LB 947 is the fact that we really do need property tax relief for farmers and ranchers in the state of Nebraska. LB 947 is a step in the right direction in order to to address the problem. So uh, we're very much in support of uh, LB 947 for that reason. And then from an ag landowner and a producer, from that perspective, what does LB 947 directly do to help their property taxes? Okay, well, first of all, LB 947 uh, maintains the existing property tax credit fund, and so not only does that help farmers, ranchers, homeowners, it also helps commercial property owners. So that remains. And then the, the, the what's new about in LB 947 would be a phased-in property tax uh, credit on your income tax, and uh, that would begin at 2%. It's retroactive to the beginning of uh, 2018, and then would add an additional 2 percentage points uh, each year for the for 10 years, so moving that to 20%. <clears throat> so it would get us to over 20% uh, uh, reduction in property taxes or relief on, on property taxes over that period of time so it, 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 it's a significant amount of money and uh, and certainly as i said before a step in the right direction and then steve a final thoughts here is lb947 truly a fix to the property tax issue or is this is finally opening the door to the road to fixing property taxes in nebraska well i think it's some of both it's certainly not a complete fix and the ballot initiative would not be a complete fix if, you know the complete fix would come in how in changing how we fund schools in Nebraska, but we've talked about that for a long time. Uh, that that's a very difficult issue, and and as time has gone by, the over reliant on uh, property taxes has continued to get greater and greater. And so, LB nine forty seven allows us to start to change that direction to begin to have some property tax relief and to to then give us some time to continue to fight for. Uh, a more equitable tax system in the state of Nebraska. So, you know, part of the way I look at it, Clay, is that we have an opportunity here. It's a little bit like the old saying of a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. Obviously, we we all want more, but sometimes you have to take what's available. And, you know, I've, I've listened to senators talk uh, this week uh, on the floor and and when they talk about the budget or a number of different things, they, you know, a lot of senators say, well, we, you know, on one issue or another, we can't get everything we want now, but we need to take what's available to us. That's a lot the way that I look at LB 947 is that, that it's something that's within our grasp now. We need to take that, and then we need to continue to work towards, again, a more uh, equitable way to fund schools in the state of Nebraska. That's President of Nebraska Farm Bureau Steve Nelson talking to us on Nebraska Proposition Bill LB 947. Going to the floor this coming week for more on the vote. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. Al, as we take a look at our Easter weekend, looks like we're not pulling out those short sleeve dresses and shorts just yet. Well, Shelly, I can guarantee it won't be sandals and shorts weather unless you're from the Arctic Circle region and are accustomed to that type of temperatures, but certainly today will probably be the best of the next three days in regards to temperatures. Uh, we do have a system that is going to start moving into the northwestern part of the state as we go into the late afternoon hours, and that will basically spread its way toward the south and east during the overnight hours. Uh, precipitation with this system does look, doesn't look to be very extensive. It does look like the vast majority of it will fall across the Dakotas and maybe clip northeast Nebraska with a rain mix, uh, snow type system. But then as we go into, uh, the day on Saturday, we should see fairly fairly decent conditions in regards to precipitation with another system coming down the backside following the same track as uh, this first system as we go into the day uh, Sunday, particularly period between midnight and about 9 a.m. looks to be the best opportunity for accumulating snowfall. And unfortunately, right now, it looks like the more significant snowfall will be across the northwestern part of the state through about west central Nebraska. And even with this initial forecast, there may be some variances either to the north or the south. And, and we may see some further updates on this as we go through the weekend. But then that system kind of loses a little punch as it moves toward the southeast, and we see the snowfall totals dropping off. And right now we're still looking at the southwestern one half of the state having a decent shot of seeing a half an inch accumulations to an inch accumulations with that heavier totals up toward the northwest, maybe less so as we get into northeast Nebraska. And that system looks like it may clear us as we get into the midday period on Sunday, and then we get a quick warm-up on Monday before yet another system comes down the pipeline. And this one doesn't look like it's got a lot of moisture associated with it, but we most likely will see a mixture of rain and snow, particularly across the northeast part of the state. It appears that primarily the western half of the state will get skirted uh, as the system moves to the east of that region and won't see much in the way of any moisture. The big question is, as we go into the Tuesday morning time frame, is whether or not we can get some moderate rainfall and uh, maybe an isolated thunderstorm developing in the central southeast Nebraska, which will be in the warmer sector of the storm. That system looks like it's going to strengthen as it moves to the east and then bring some heavy precipitation once again to the eastern corn belt. Um, so we're going to see some continuation of the delays and concern, you know, going into the early part of the planting period. I can say this uh, with a high degree of confidence that it is very unlikely that we will see much piling progress before April 11th. It looks like we're going to be in a series of storm systems with yet another big storm uh, looking like it's going to arrive as we go into next weekend. And this is one we talked about last week that was supposed to arrive on the 6th. Well, that system looks like it's just going to be a chunk of energy that comes through on the 6th coming through western Nebraska and then moving eastward as we go into Friday morning. It doesn't look like significant accumulations with that, just another light precipitation amount, but the big activity will start to move into the western United States. This system right now is poised to come out on the 8th, and I would caution ranchers to pay attention, particularly as we get to the end of next week, because this system does look like it's going to drop some significant moisture over the central United States. We are likely to see to the north uh, in the colder airs uh, some heavy accumulating snowfall. That potentially right now looks like it could line up over at least the northern half of Nebraska. All right, thanks, Al. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
midday for Good Friday. Time to take a check at sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, San Antonio is the site for the men's Final Four this weekend at 5.09 Central Time tomorrow night. Michigan takes on Loyola of Chicago. Wolverines head coach John Beeline says scouting Loyola is like looking into a mirror. I think there's a lot of similarities in these two teams, and that's why we're both here. I think we play uh, the ball the game efficiently at both ends of the floor, uh, but both of us start with our defense, I think, that we really pride ourselves in playing good D. The second game features KU against Villanova. Jayhawks coach Bill Self says KU will have to be very good tomorrow night. To slow Villanova down or whatever, they're averaging, what, 88 a game. You know, we got we got to really be able to guard our man and not put ourselves in so many situations where they stretch us out and they can they can get that ball whipping around. The Kansas Villanova game is scheduled to start around 7:49. Now, the women's final four is set for tonight as Mississippi State battles Louisville at six Central Time. The eight o'clock matchup has UConn against Notre Dame. Penn State has earned its second NIT title since 2009. Amar Stevens scored 28 points, and Josh Reeves had 18 to lead the Lions to an easy 82-66 win over Utah. Keep an eye on Penn State next year. They ended up wrapping up this season at 28-13, and they'll return a number of key sophomores. Well, the Husker football team practiced for a little more than two hours yesterday morning inside the Hawks Championship Center. It was the first time they'd worked out in full pads this spring. And offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach Troy Walters is very excited about being in Lincoln. Best offense I've been around. And that's from Indianapolis Colts to Arizona Cardinals, Minnesota, because you can do so much out of this offense. And you can put guys in different uh, situations, different positions to be successful. You can get creative. As long as you understand the base, the, then you can do so many things out of it. And not only the best offensive system I've been a part of, but offense, best offensive staff I've been a part of. No egos. Uh, we know our roles. And you is scheduled to work out again tomorrow. Husker baseball team is in Columbus, Ohio this weekend for a three-game series against Ohio State. First game is set for this afternoon at 5.30. Now Nebraska took two out of three from the Buckeyes a year ago in Columbus. Now Nebraska is just 13-12 and 12 so far this year. Ohio State, they've been playing well. They're 16-7. and 7. And Max Scherzer begins his bid for a third straight NL Cy Young Award when he starts for Washington at Great American Ballpark. Opening day in Cincinnati was pushed back a day because of rain. The forecast for today is better. They're calling for a dry afternoon with temperatures around 50. And that's a look at sports. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. A bill that would require Nebraska students to complete a naturalization test is headed to the floor of the legislature for debate. Lawmakers took the rare step yesterday of pulling the measure from the Education Committee where the bill had stalled because of lack of support. Senator Lydia Brosh of Bancroft said her measure would ensure students have a basic knowledge about their country and their government. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts hosted a ceremony at the state capitol to honor veterans of the Vietnam War and their spouses yesterday. Veterans from across Nebraska joined the governor as he signed a proclamation and presented commemorative lapel pins to veterans and their spouses as a symbol of gratitude from Nebraskans for their service. There were 8,500 miles and 13 time zones between Lincoln, Nebraska and Saigon. And our troops were a long way from home. And they fought honorably and bravely to serve our nation. And so today, what we want to do is recognize our Vietnam veterans for the sacrifices they and their families made in services of our country. 
Yesterday, March 29th, was National Vietnam Veterans Day in America, and Governor Ricketts said, quote, the Vietnam War was one of those wars where it was very difficult for our service members to serve their country, end quote. Ricketts also said that many of them came home and did not receive the welcome that they deserved. Ricketts described the lapel pins. The pins themselves are of an eagle, which represents courage and honor and dedication to our country. They've got the blue of the American flag, which represents vigilance, perseverance, and dedication to country. And of course, they are all inscribed with a grateful nation honors you. Approximately 64,000 Nebraskans served in the Vietnam War. Lawmakers yesterday advanced a package of bills designed to address Nebraska's overcrowding prison system. The measures would look at ways to address the system's chronic understaffing, high recidivism rates, and call for officials to prepare an accelerated review process to handle an impending deadline to significantly reduce prison population. And corn has been dethroned as the king of the crops as farmers expect to plant more soybeans and corn for the first time in 35 years. The U.S. Department of Agriculture released its annual perspective planning report yesterday. It says farmers intend to plant 89 million acres of soybeans compared to 88 million acres of corn. The primary reason is profitability. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand content whenever you would like. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. North Platte Natural Resources District Director John Burge is back from the World Water Conference, which was held in Brasilia, Brazil, March 19th through the 23rd. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabela Guzman. A good deal of the conference centered on building ways to bring water to areas where it is scarce and the political ways in which to do it. Burge explains how water has always been something of a battleground for towns, states, and countries. I mean, before the Wyoming-Nebraska decree, we had the same sort of situation between Nebraska and Wyoming. Before there was a split, 75% of the irrigation water was going to come to Nebraska and 25% was going to stay in Wyoming. It was sort of lawless. So even that kind of scenario isn't all of that uh, different. Now, the political situation may be more dire in that uh, opposing factions may be carrying weapons. Um, but that sort of situation does exist. The pavilion for the state of Israel and the pavilion for the state of Palestine is maybe only 500 feet from one another. Uh, and they were having discussions about the same kind of water shortages and the same kind of uh, obstructions uh, to water that you might uh, you know, witness in a conversation between France and England. Burge gave a couple of presentations at the water conference and also took meetings with various groups on water in exploring new technologies together. Another uh, side meeting that I had was requested by um, the head of the water division for the World Economic Forum. World Economic Forum is sort of like the World Bank, only without the money. Uh, these are the people that connect industry or business to organizations like ours to uh, uh, work on conservation efforts in this particular case. This woman is based in Switzerland. She got together with me and an individual from the uh, Water for Food Institute to determine whether there was an opportunity for use of blockchain technology for water management in a district like ours. Blockchain is sort of the underpinning of um, cryptocurrency. Um, and we think we may have found common areas where we would share some of the same goals uh, with those business people. And so we've invited them uh, to come and take a look at our district or at least get together at some future date and, and continue this conversation. The blockchain would be helpful to have the potential for an additional revenue source from a sustainability source. Birds adds a lot of corporations are interested in corporate sustainability and make these kinds of investments to be able to say they are then a net zero use of water product. 
Burge says the overriding theme of the conference was water scarcity. Five billion people in the world by 2030 are going to live in a water scarce area for one month out of the year. That means for one month out of the year, um, they will have to travel to and from uh, over one mile uh, to get water for simply for drinking and sanitation. Um, so that is an enormous issue that sort of puts everything uh, into perspective. Along with the water scarcity issue of getting water to people in communities, there was also the issue of having enough water for agriculture. But there is also then the water scarcity question as it relates to uh, irrigated agriculture and how we're going to feed another, uh, feed nine billion people by 2050. How, how do you do that uh, with the limited uh, arable acres and the limited irrigation water uh, that we've got? Birch talks about the Sub-Sahara in Africa, which is considered to be the next birthplace of the next green revolution, as there is so much potential for agriculture, but little technological advances. Because there is such an opportunity for agricultural development that has never been realized. And one of the reasons for that is, is lack of uh, technology and lack of updated data. So the overall theme of utilizing data to do better agricultural management even holds true in um, in South Sudan, where their technological advancements in agriculture probably are, you know, about 60 or 70 years behind where we're at today. The soil mapping of the area is about 150 years old, which creates challenges to be able to apply fertilizer correctly in an area. Burge says their irrigation is also antiquated. They, they don't have a lot of laterals. It's a lot of direct appropriation out of rivers. Um, and so you're not carrying water through a canal system to a field that may be far away. You're dry land cropping over here and you're irrigated cropping right near uh, the stream. Uh, many of their um, groundwater wells are hand dug. So you've got a, a different situation than you do here where we're able to reach very deep aquifers. You know, they may not be able to reach similar aquifers. While at the conference, Burge spoke with a woman from the Sudan or Sub-Sahara region he met and is in many ways dealing with the same aspects he deals with in the panhandle of Nebraska. He's dealing with the exact same kinds of issues, even with that set of circumstances being less than ideal for agriculture, as we are. She's dealing with uh, uh, competing interests, uh, trying to utilize the same resource and making sure that there's enough for everybody. She's dealing with uh, the need to ensure that future generations have the opportunity to irrigate, to drink, and to have industry and economy just like um, their forebears. She's dealing with the perspective of uh, having to travel to uh, get water for uh, her family or for other families to be able to utilize for cooking or drinking or sanitation. These are not all that different from what we do. I mean, we, we've been dealing with issues right here in this NRD about uh, municipalities having to go find a new water well source for drinking water. It's sort of a virtual travel, but it's still a travel. John Burge, director of the North Platte NRD, participated in the World Water Conference 2018 as a guest of the UNL Water for Food Dougherty Global Institute. The two will be working together in the future to implement some new integrated management practices in the Panhandle with the help of the UNL Panhandle Research and Extension Center Water and Irrigation Management Specialist, Zin Zhao. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. How does the recent China trade threat affect U.S. pork production? Good afternoon. Shaylee Peters back with you as we take a quick look at your ag news this afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. The Rural Radio Network's Clay Patton finds out. Yesterday, the USDA's quarterly hog report showed an increase in the U.S. sow production and more market-ready hogs. China has listed U.S. pork as one of the U.S. ag products it intends to retaliate against 
in response to U.S. steel and aluminum tariffs. This has some industry stakeholders concerned, but Daniel Bluntser, a partner of New Frontier Capital Markets, doesn't believe it could have that large of an impact. Putting the China mainland trade in perspective, if we average what we did last year, my numbers come out to about about 36,000 head per week. But when you look at the in the big scheme of things, it, it's not like they're, they're our only trading partner. In fact, they're, they're probably fourth or fifth on the list. Any disruption in any kind of export flow would certainly be negative. The kicker is, are they going to just not uh, not import any pork? Or are they going to get it from the next best place, which you know internationally would be Canada? And so it's a, it's a zero-sum game. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. And another ag news, following executive session, the Central Platte Natural Resources District's board approved a purchase agreement to buy 157.4 acres of groundwater irrigated land in the amount of $915,000 during their monthly board meeting yesterday. The land is located six miles southeast of Kozad. Lyndon Vogt, CPNRD general manager, said the purchase gives the NRD several options to provide recharge to the Platte River through the potential retirement of irrigated acres, transferring water from the Southside Irrigation District Canal and directly discharging flows into the river from an adjacent property. And that's a quick check of Ag News this afternoon. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Iowa's nutrient reduction strategy is in its eighth year and continues to be a private-public partnership, as Sean McMahon, Executive Director of the Iowa Ag Water Alliance, explains. So the nutrient reduction strategy was always envisioned to be a public-private partnership, and when Iowa Agriculture Water Alliance was created, it was conceived that we would help to bring together that private sector piece. And so we've been doing that by creating different platforms and public-private partnerships and one of them that I'm talking about at the Iowa Water Conference today is the Conservation Infrastructure Initiative. And we're co-leading that effort with the Iowa Department of Ag. Um, Bill Northey and Ray Gasser had been the co-chairs, and now Mike Nag, since he's the, the secretary, he's the, the co-chair. And this is really an effort to get more robust private sector investment and engagement in implementing the nutrient reduction strategy so we can do so more cost-effectively by harnessing economic drivers and market-based solutions to improve water quality. But we recognize that there's missing infrastructure, uh, business infrastructure that's lacking, that's really preventing us from going from our current level of adoption to that exponential increase in adoption of conservation practices. So the conservation infrastructure effort is about identifying those barriers and obstacles and solutions to overcome those. So we're putting those recommendations together into a conservation infrastructure action plan, and now we're pivoting to uh, implementation projects along those lines. What types of uh, public uh, partnerships have you come up with so far in the strategy? Yeah, so uh, one major one that actually existed before this conservation infrastructure initiative is our Midwest Agriculture Water Quality Partnership. And that's a pretty major project. It was the largest in the nation back in 2016 when it was awarded. But we got a $10 million grant from USDA, and we brought together 47 partners, including 19 agribusinesses, to leverage an additional $38 million to improve water quality in priority watersheds in Iowa. And that's really been going gangbusters. You know, we're well ahead of schedule on it. 
Um, we've you know improved conservation on about 1.3 million acres so far, and we're on track to uh, to wrap that up uh, before the five-year period in, in terms of, uh, you know, the equip dollars that are going out to places like the North Raccoon and Middle Cedar, and also our partners match, you know, helping farmers improve water quality. We've got a number of co-ops, ag retailers, uh, seed companies, fertilizer companies, farm equipment companies, and others that are involved in that effort. Everybody has a stake in this uh, from the public on down to the farmers and the farmers are certainly doing their part as far as putting dollars in, putting the work in. Uh, is the strategy working so far? Is it, Can you tell that? It absolutely is, Bruce. And we're seeing that where we're investing in particular watersheds, we're really moving the needle as far as conservation practice adoption and improving water quality. You know, for instance, we're able to, to put together different what we call critical success factors like a watershed plan, like technical assistance, those all-important boots on the ground that can talk to farmers about the practices, extra financial assistance like through that Midwest Ag Water Quality Partnership, and then leadership and engagement you know, from farmer leaders, community leaders, and agribusinesses. We're really going gangbusters in, in some watershed. That's Sean McMahon of the Iowa Ag Water Alliance, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Tariffs and trade have taken center stage in the media lately, but another important deadline is looming to pass a farm bill before the deadline in September. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Brad Lubin, Extension Specialist of Agriculture Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, tells us more on what producers will face on some very popular programs. We're clearly watching the farm portion of the farm bill, and specifically the commodity program title, uh, as well as the crop insurance title and the conservation title. Traditionally, those three uh, components have been a primary part of what the focus of the farm community has been on. Uh, in the commodity title itself, uh, we're looking probably not at substantial revisions or changes to existing Title I programs, our traditional farm income safety net. Uh, we're looking at relatively modest revisions to those programs. The ARC program has been a revenue safety net tied to a moving average price and yield, and the PLC program, a price safety net tied to a fixed reference price. Lubin says there will probably be changes to the ARC program in yield data use and analysis, but relatively little other changes. In the past, Lubin says the majority of producers of corn and soybeans chose ARC, but that could change going forward. Lubin says there have been a few challenges in the farm bill commodities area, but most have been addressed. The two biggest challenges that seem to have to be addressed because of budgetary pressure uh, were proposals to uh, add or revise support programs for cotton and dairy producers. Uh, those were addressed in the omnibus uh, budget bill that was passed back in February, and so the remaining commodity title might move in fairly straightforward fashion. We look at this farm bill debate and a relative continuation of existing policy for most of our commodity producers. Lubin says the main challenge for the Farm Bill is almost always the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. The committee, if it attempts to act in a largely bipartisan fashion, as is typical and traditional for farm policy work, might produce a bill that proposes at most modest changes to the existing SNAP program. So the Farm Bill in the last go-round was this careful dance down the middle where it attempted to draw a coalition across the middle 
but it simultaneously disappointed the far right that wanted further cuts in programs and the far left that wanted essentially no cuts or even increases in food assistance programs. That middle-of-the-road proposal in, in the last Farm Bill debate actually died on the floor of the House. Lubin says if the Farm Bill doesn't get done on time, it is likely an extension of current administration will be done. If Congress doesn't do an extension on the Farm Bill, the bill will resort to the permanent legislature of 1949, which would not be good for either side. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman.